everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty well. I don't know if you've noticed this, but for the last several episodes, we have had a string of technical problems which have made putting this show together a lot more difficult for me. Well, I am pleased to announce that the streak continues. Yup. As we were getting ready to record this episode last weekend, my power went out. Corey had a pretty brief window of availability open for when he could record, so rescheduling wasn't really an option. So I packed up my stuff and went over to his house, and we recorded in his home office. I brought some sound-baffling material with me, but trying to remove the echo from a room with bare walls and hardwood floors proved to be a different kind of baffling. So... That is why the majority of today's episode sounds as though it was recorded in a high school auditorium. If I had known that was how it was going to come out sounding, I would have tried harder to deliver a stern, unvarnished lecture about the dangers of playing professional hockey without wearing a helmet, the way a guy who visited our high school did when I was a kid. I thought it was weird at the time, but I'll tell you this much I have never, not even once, played in a professional hockey game and not worn a helmet. So, well done, guy from the Bruins who got a lot of concussions because he didn't wear a helmet. You done good. Anyway, sorry about the sound quality. My power did eventually come back on, so that's good news. And now, frankly, I'm just kind of curious as to what's going to go wrong next week. Guess we'll just have to wait and see. But in the meantime... Let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is part one of a collaboration between Devin Tui and Mark Paglia. How Mephisto Stole Christmas, part one. All the defenders of Marvel liked Christmas a lot, but Mephisto, who'd fought the non-team, did not. Spying on the sanctum, surrounded by flames, he cursed the defenders by all of their names, for he knew every hero on old Bleecker Street was busy preparing a holiday treat. And they're watching their flame ghosts, his grumbling increased. They're making a nearly forty-buck bean feast! Then he had an idea, an awful idea. Mephisto had a wonderful, awful idea— I know just who to send who can end Yuletide fun. He laughed his cruel laugh, summoning the elf with a gun. The elf went to the sanctum by way of Citrusville, sneaking through Steve's open, unguarded window sill. And where all lay in wait for the holiday looter, the humbugging elf drew out his pea shooter. The Gerber graduate slunk with a look most unpleasant, and he fired his bullets at every present. Adamantium chairs and hair gel for Clea, a statue for Val of the Norse goddess Freya. Wong's records and gadgets, all future Wong doings, went up in the carnage of Christmas poo-pooings. And he shot up Steve's vases, a bust made of bronze. No beholds for his decor, there were only begones. 
and we leave the poor sanctum a ruined abyss, and turn to this week's comic book, Synopsis. Synopsis! Thanks, Devin and Mark. Stay tuned next week for part two of this synopsis rhyme. New Titans, number 53, February 1989. Who is Wonder Girl? Chapter 4, Battle Plan. Written by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Drotted by George Perez. Inkted by Bob McLeod. Letterded by John Costanza. Colorded by Adrian Roy. And edited by Barbara Kiesel. New Titan Roll Call. Wonder Girl. Starfire. Nightwing. Cyborg. Raven. Beast Boy. Jericho, Athens with a Y, and Xanthi. Previously in the DC Universe. Wonder Girl, a.k.a. Donna Troy, had a backstory and origin that were a fucking nightmare of nonsensical, self-contradictory retcons. A problem that was exacerbated by a continuity rewriting crossover event called Crisis on Infinite Earths, which retroactively erased any possible connection between Wonder Girl and Wonder Woman. Previously in New Titans. Obnoxiously precocious late-season cast edition Danny fucking Chase found a small floating metal orb that looked like one of the deadly spheres from the film franchise Phantasm. He brought the Phantasm Sphere home with him to the Titan Tower to play with, and a bunch of evil aliens popped out of it and tried to murder Wonder Girl. Oh no! The Titans killed most of the extraterrestrial assassins, then a mysterious lady with stars in her hair showed up and murdered the rest of the aliens for them. Thanks, lady! Once the immediate threat was over, the lady telepathically linked with Donna and informed the continuity-confounding crime fighter that all of her memories from between the ages of 3 and 13 were some made-up bullshit that had been totally recalled into her brain for reasons. While Donna was still reeling from this revelation, her actual memories of her childhood came rushing back to her. These recollections seemed to take place on a distant planet that bore a striking resemblance to ancient Greece. Hmm... Abruptly, the mysterious stranger broke her telepathic link with Donna and instantly aged a thousand years, as though she had opened up the Ark of the Covenant and snuck a peek at it. The gang was understandably confused at what was going on, so in her final moments before dying of old, the stranger introduced herself as Phoebe and explained that she was the ancient Greek titan of the moon. Then, with her dying breath, Phoebe went on to deliver 20 solid pages of the following exposition. Here goes. <sighs> a super long time ago, the ancient Greek titans ruled the world and everything was chill. Then their kids, Zeus and the other Greek gods, got pissed at the titans. Zeus killed his dad Cronus, then he and his divine buddies threw the rest of the OG titans into space. Eventually, the titans landed on a tiny moon they called New Cronus in honor of their fallen comrade. They spruced up their new home a bit, then headed down to the planet it orbited, and colonized it, attempting to impose their culture on the planet's inhabitants. Unfortunately, the natives of this planet, whose name was probably not coincidentally Sinrianak, an apparent portmanteau of Syria, Iran, and Iraq, were too, quote, primitive and warlike, unquote, to appreciate being colonized and subjugated. They rebelled against their allegedly benevolent ancient Greek overlords. Saddened by this ingratitude, the Titans retreated to New Cronus. After a while, they got bored, so Cronus's widow Rhea split her soul into twelve bits and went zooming around across the universe gathering up orphans who were about to die in accidents and yoinking them back to New Cronus. 
The Titans called these orphans the Titan Seeds and gave them superpowers, raising and educating them as their children. One of these orphans was Donna, who was given the name Troy, as each Titan Seed was named after an ancient Greek city. Everything was great for a decade or so, then when the Titan Seeds reached adolescence, the Titans kicked them off New Cronus and told them that they had to go back to their home planets for 50 years, because let's face it, teenagers are a real handful. The Titans erased their protégés' memories for reasons, and sent them on their way. The only problem was, one of the Seeds' amnesias didn't take. Sparta, who was probably not coincidentally from Sinrianak, recovered her memories and was driven mad by them. She conquered her planet and formed an army that attempted to invade New Cronus and steal the OG Titan's power. The Titans rebuffed this invasion, so Sparta invented some fancy spaceships that looked like phantasm balls and used them to send her warriors out to kill the other Titan seeds. Each time one of her fellow Titan seeds died, Sparta's power increased and the OG Titans got weaker. Sparta had managed to hunt down and kill all but three of the seeds before Phoebe managed to sneak by the blockade of starships that surrounded New Cronus and attempt to warn the surviving seeds. Phoebe had barely enough power to make it to Earth in time to alert Donna. After she finished delivering this metric shit-ton of exposition, Phoebe told Donna and the New Titans to find the other Titan seeds and bring them back to New Cronus. To aid them in this quest, she handed Donna a phantasm sphere that I guess she had managed to swipe from Sparta's forces or something. Then she died. Bye, Phoebe! Donna left a message on her husband Terry Long's answering machine informing him that she was going to be in space for a while. Then, the Titans leapt into action. Donna, Raven, and Beast Boy hopped in the phantasm sphere that Phoebe had given them and zoomed off in one direction. Dick, Starfire, Cyborg, and Jericho hopped in the phantasm sphere that Danny had found and zoomed off in the other direction. They left Danny on Earth because 1. They were a little unsettled about how excited he was at the prospect of murdering aliens, and b. Fuck Danny Chase! Hooray! The Phantasm Spheres were super high-tech and seemed to know just where to go. They were also very spacious on the inside and looked kinda like an alien boob factory. Donna's Sphere took its passengers to an arid desert planet where they found the Titan Seed Xanthi. Xanthi was an adorable gentle creature covered in soft white fur who dressed kind of like he was cosplaying as a tardigrade. He recognized Donna which triggered the return of some of his memories. After a brief chat and an even briefer battle with a group of Sparta's warriors who attempted to intercept Donna's craft, Xanthi hopped into the alien boob factory slash phantasm sphere and headed to New Cronus. Upon arrival, the OG Titans restored the rest of his and Donna's memories. Dick and his crew had a more difficult time of things. Their phantasm sphere took them to a militaristic planet and upon landing, they were surrounded by hostile forces. The leader of the military turned out to be the seed they were looking for, a stern warrior in a fancy mech suit named Athens with a Y. For some reason, Athens with a Y did not immediately accept the tale of ancient gods, benevolent child abduction, and implanted memories that a group of strangely dressed aliens presented to him with no corroborating evidence. He ordered his soldiers to capture the Titans. Then, a group of Spartus warriors arrived in a phantasm sphere. Everybody fought everybody. In the confusion, Joey used his creepy lemur eyes to take over Athens with a Y's body. The Titans and a possessed Athens with a Y piled into their alien boob factory and zoomed off towards New Cronus. Seconds after they departed, Sparta's forces detonated a bomb, which blew up Athens with a wise whole planet. Bummer! Athens wasn't too thrilled about this planetary genocide and blamed the Titans, vowing vengeance on them as soon as he got use of his body back. Cyborg yelled at Athens with a Y and told him that it was his fault his planet blew up, and that if he had only instantly believed the Titans' unbelievable story, all his friends and family would still be alive. Bizarrely, this tirade did little to placate Athens with a Y. The Phantasm Sphere neared New Cronus, but was intercepted by Sparta and her space army. Oh no! 
The gang tried to evade the blockade, but then Athens with a Y broke free of Joey's influence and took over the Phantasm Sphere with his mind. The enraged Titan Seed ordered the ship to wage a battle on two fronts, incapacitating the Titans inside with its newly weaponized alien boob factory interior, while simultaneously blowing up as many of Sparta's ships as it could in a fast-paced space fight. Sparta ordered her forces to blow up the sphere. On the surface of New Cronus, the Titans, ancient Greek and new alike, looked up in horror at the vicious battle taking place in the skies above them. Raven teleported herself aboard Dick's Phantasm Sphere and tried to rescue her teammates, but moments after she stepped onto the ship, a laser beam hit it and the orb exploded in a fiery blast. Sparta berated her warriors because apparently, contrary to her recent order, she had wanted to capture Athens with Y alive for some reason, but the damage was done. According to Sparta's tirade, all the passengers inside the sphere were dead. Gadzooks! Are Athens with a Y, Dick, Starfire, Joey, and Cyborg really dead? What plans did Sparta have that required Athens with a Y to survive? And does the fact that this chapter of the story is titled Battle Plan mean that the Titans will finally realize the importance of having a plan before going into battle? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, nope. Tough to say because the first thing she does upon finding out that he's alive is try to kill him. And, gosh, you'd sure think it would. Starfire slowly drifts into consciousness and finds herself in what appears to be a featureless white room. Is she in a 90s Gap commercial? The detention room from Sky High? An Apple store? No. Eventually, the spicy space princess realizes she is inside her teammate Raven's bird-shaped soul tummy. Huh. I guess either Trigon was a big fan of minimalist interior design, or else Raven redecorated once he moved out. You know, there are very few people that I would wish this on, but I kind of hope that that guy lost his security deposit. After a while, Coriander bumps into Raven, who is just waking up herself. It turns out, just before the Phantasm Sphere exploded, Raven was able to tuck herself and Starfire into this little pocket dimension. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to save any of the rest of the ship's occupants. Bummer. Dejected, Raven teleports herself and her Tamaranian buddy back to New Cronus. Donna is stoked that Raven and Starfire are okay, but is worried that Dick, Joey, Vic, and Athens with a Y might not be. And she has cause to be concerned. Raven is like, the last thing I saw before I passed out was the remains of the exploded phantasm sphere plummeting towards the surface of Sinrianak. I know that at first it looked like the whole thing totally shattered into a million pieces, but that was, um, a space mirage or something. Space swamp gas? Yeah, probably space swamp gas. Donna is like, we have to go look for them. Old Titans, can you use your powers to send us to Sinrianak? One of the old Titans, oh, I don't know, let's say Iapetus, is like, Nope, nothing doing. If you went to that planet, the very fiber of the universe could be destroyed. Really? Well, that's new. Meanwhile, on Sinrianak, a search patrol of Sparta's warriors zooms across the surface of the planet. They locate the remains of the Titan's crashed phantasm sphere, but are unable to detect any survivors. 
They report their findings to Sparta, who yells at them and tells them to keep looking anyway and make sure to report any alien life they can find or she will murder the shit out of them. Not wanting to have the shit murdered out of them, the warriors keep searching. Hidden in some nearby underbrush, a trio of shrouded figures watch the patrol pass by. It would seem that our heroes are significantly less dead than one might expect. Hooray! Dick explains what happened in the chaotic final pages of the last issue. Apparently, just before the Phantasm Sphere exploded, Dick asked the alien boob factory to fire up its replicators and make him an armor-piercing hypodermic needle loaded with a powerful sedative. Dick used this DSX syringe to knock out a rampaging Athens with a Y, which allowed Joey to retake over his body. Then, as the ship was crashing into the surface, Victor picked up Athens with a Y and Dick and leapt to safety in the nearby jungle. The fact that this unlikely and frankly nonsensical chain of events seemed like a perfectly reasonable explanation when I first read it should illustrate how confused I was by what happened at the end of last issue. Dick hurt his leg in the crash, but our heroes are otherwise unharmed. At least for now. But not everything is going their way, because one of Sparta's patrols has just spotted Cyborg. Well, shit. The mostly molybdenum Marvel shoves his teammates into the bushes before they're spotted as well, then uses his hydraulically enhanced legs to take the fight to his would-be captors. Victor leaps clear into the planet's stratosphere and punches a wing off one of Sparta's spaceships. Dang! The ship crashes to the planet's surface and explodes. Hooray! Unfortunately, these patrol ships travel in pairs, and the other one shoots Vic in the back and takes him captive. Dick and a still Joey-infused Athens with a Y flee further into the jungle to elude their pursuers and keep Vic's sacrifice from being in vain. Once they reach the relative safety of a secluded riverbank, Joey tells Dick that he'd better bust out some more of that sedative he had the alien boob factory make him because Athens with a Y is getting antsy again. For some reason, Athens with a Y can use sign language when he is possessed, even though he can't speak, which is a total reversal of what had been established last issue, but whatever. Through hand signals, he informs Dick and Joe that part of why he's so pissed is because he had a wife who died when his planet exploded. Shitty. Dick stabs Athens with the syringe so that Joey can get some rest from puppeting the tempestuous Titan seed around, and the fugitive Titans make camp for the night. Back on New Cronus, Donna addresses the OG Titans and is like, I'm sorry, but did you guys just say that if me and Xanthi go to Sinrianak, then the entire universe is going to be destroyed? Iapetus is like, yup. Xanthi is like, care to elaborate? Iapetus is like, not really. We'd rather if you two just stayed on this barren moon with us ancient Greek Titans. That way, Sparta can't take your power. Xanthia's like, you want us to stay here with you forever? Iapetus is like, no, of course not, don't be silly. Not forever, just until you both die of old age. Donna and Xanthi aren't thrilled with this proposed course of inaction. Raven is like, I don't like this either, but I don't see any alternatives. My ridiculous nonsense powers are still too weak to sense where our teammates might be located. Amazingly, it is Beast Boy who has a suggestion. The Emerald Adolescent is like, Well, 
How about I go down to Sinrianak and use my powers to disguise myself as some kind of local fauna? Then, I can scout out where our friends are and let Raven know. Then you guys can all come to the rescue. Starfire, Donna, Raven, and Xanthi think that sounds like a great plan, but the OG Titans are unconvinced. Let's say Creus is like, No way! If you screw up, the universe is going to be destroyed! For reasons that remain unclear. The risk is too great. I'm sorry, but I must forbid you to go. Donna's like, Ah, come on! We really want to rescue our friends. Like, a lot. Creus is like, Oh. Okay, you convinced me. Here's an image of a weird green lizard squirrel that Gar can dress up as, and we'll teleport you there. Huh. Xanthi and Donna both want to be on the rescue squad that Beast Boy signals when he finds the missing Titans, but the OG Titans are like, No way! The universe is going to be destroyed if anything happens to either of you. But if you both die, then it'll be... Destroyed even worse or something? The point is one of you needs to stay here. Donna and Xanthi agree to this arbitrary condition and say that they will figure out which one of them waits behind when the time comes. In the meantime, Donna, Raven, and Starfire thank Beast Boy for his bravery and kiss him goodbye. Then the OG Titans zap the shape-shifting teen over to Sinrianak. A little while later, in Sinrianak's capital city, a throng of citizens make their way to the city center as a bunch of green lizard squirrel things scamper underfoot. Apparently, Sparta has called a press conference in the town square. Among the crowd are Dick and a Jericho-controlled Athens with a Y who have donned hooded robes and are whispering to each other about how important it is that they remain inconspicuous. Well... Nothing's less conspicuous than robed and hooded figures whispering to each other in an alien tongue, so great job, guys. Fortunately for our heroes, the crowd is too distracted to notice the off-worlders in their midst. Well, maybe not that fortunately, because the reason the crowd is distracted is because Sparta has tied Cyborg to an altar in the middle of town and is publicly torturing him until he reveals the location of his allies. Shitty. Vic is in an enormous amount of pain, but is refusing to talk. So Sparta starts blasting him with some sort of magic pain laser. From the crowd, Joey tries to use his lemur eyes to jump from Athens with a wise body into Sparta's so that she'll knock off the Vic torture, but the monomaniacal titan seed easily rebuffs his attempt. All Jericho manages to accomplish is alerting the mad space queen to his presence. Uh-oh. Dick launches a smoke bomb towards the altar, which is surprisingly effective, and uses the momentary diversion to climb up towards Cyborg so that he can try to free his anguished ally. Unfortunately, just as he reaches the top of the altar, the smoke begins to dissipate, and one of Sparta's snipers takes careful aim at the acrobatic adventurer. Just as the sniper is about to fire, a big green gorilla knocks her the fuck out! Looks like Beast Boy has found his pals. Hooray! Raven opens up a bird-shaped portal, and she and the rest of the cavalry stream through. The avian-themed empath rushes to engage Sparta directly, while Starfire zips around the sky, trying to draw enemy fire. The spicy space princess gets zapped by a ton of bad guy lasers. Dick is concerned, but it turns out that was all part of the plan. Coriander absorbs the energy blasts and uses them to fuel a counterattack that lays waste to a significant portion of Sparta's forces. 
Another one of Sparta's snipers takes aim at Beast Boy, who has taken the form of a giant eagle, but before the would-be assassin can pull the trigger, an adorably mitten-clad fist knocks them the fuck out. Xanthi is on the scene. Back on New Cronus, Donna stares off into the middle distance and worries about her pals. She wishes that she had gone instead of Xanthi, but they had engaged in some sort of a game of chance involving a white pebble and a black pebble, and Xanthi had won fair and square. As Donna laments her bad luck, the OG Titans have a conversation that, well, what they say doesn't actually make a ton of sense, but I think what they're getting at is that over the past few millennium, they have fucked up a lot of stuff with their hubris, and now that the universe might or might not get destroyed, they feel kind of bad about it. At least I think that's the thrust of it. All the dialogue and thought bubbles on this page are a little bit hard to follow. Back on Sinri and Ak, everybody is still fighting everybody. Raven is more or less holding her own against Sparta, but is starting to lose some ground. Xanthi rolls up on Athens with a Y and is like, Hey Athens with a Y, is that you or is the blonde kid with the mutton chops still driving your body? Athens is like, Xanthi! You look familiar, but the weird blonde kid is still driving me, and I'm pissed off and confused. Xanthi is like, Hey, weird blonde kid, if you're listening in there, please let go of Athens with a Y. If you do, I'll restore his memory, and he can help us fight, okay? Joey is skeptical, but he was already reaching his limit of how long he could control Athens with a Y anyway, so he does as Xanthi requests and pops out of the Titan Seed's body. As soon as Joey does this, Xanthi uses some borrowed OG Titan power and restores Athens with the wise memories of New Cronus. Once Athens with the wise amnesia is cured, he is super stoked to see his old pal Xanthi and gives the adorable fuzzball a big old hug. It's pretty cute. What's decidedly less cute is how Sparta reacts to this development. When she senses that she has managed to lure not one but two Titan seeds to her home planet, the Sinrianaki strongwoman is overjoyed. With a burst of newfound strength, she blasts Raven with some sort of a nonsense bolt which sends the Azerathian enchanter reeling. Sparta then turns her attention to Athens with a Y and Xanthi, who, working as a team, are in the process of decimating her army. Sparta confronts her fellow Titan seeds. Athens with a Y is shocked to see her and mentions that at one point they were childhood sweethearts. Good to know. The intimacy they once shared does not seem to soften Sparta's stance towards Athens with a Y. She fires a deadly beam of energy at the stunned warrior, but before the blast can reach its target, Xanthi hurls himself into its path. The beam strikes his furry body with a sickening SCRACK! Sparta flies away, gloating about her inevitable victory. Raven teleports the heroes back to New Cronus, but before she does, she makes the grim proclamation that for one member of the party, at least, it is too late. Xanthi is dead. No! To be concluded. You know what? At this point, I kind of hope the OG Titans are right about the universe being destroyed. If the universe is going to do my man Xanthi dirty like that, it doesn't deserve to exist. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going okay. It feels a little weird to be recording this in 
what is not the comic book room. No, we are in your home office right now because as we were about to start recording in the comic book room, the power went out. They told us it would be back on sometime in the next eight hours, Hmm. but who knows? I gotta say, it seems as though there are perhaps a not coincidental amount of technical issues that have been plaguing the show lately. Not coincidental? I don't know. I'm concerned that this might be like a 12 Monkeys situation, or a The Monster at the End of This Book. Equivalent pieces of fiction, as near as I can tell. But, like, I worry that there might be time travelers that are trying to stop us from reaching a certain episode. But what? I don't know. It's, you know, butterfly effect shit, man. Yeah. I just stop listening when anything time paradoxical starts happening. Oh, comic books must be really difficult for you to read. I just let it wash over me. Uh, We've been over this. That's true. Well, regardless, we are continuing to inch closer to the monster at the end of this book. We cannot be stopped. No. So, back off, time travelers. Yeah. Corey, what if the time travelers are us and we're trying to warn ourselves about something? Oops. Yeah, I gotta say, in general, never been a big fan of Future Hub. Nope. I'm always trying to stick him with extra work. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's trying to get his revenge. Hmm. But... See, we're getting into that paradox territory again. Corey, just let it wash over you. Cool. Well, do you want to talk about a comic book? Yes, I do. All right. Corey... What did you think of this comic book? You know, more of the same, I gotta say, in terms of what's been going on with this particular series and story arc. However, I'm beginning to like it more. Oh, I had a very different reaction. I thought you might. The first quarter of the book, I was starting to like more, and then, and then like the second two quarters of the book, I was like, Okay. Then I started to like it again a little bit more towards the end. And then I was like, fuck this comic book. Fuck this comic book forever. Wow. What a roller coaster. They killed Xanthi. Dude. Fuck that. It's bullshit. They have introduced exactly one character I have given even a tiny shit about since, I I don't know, when did Vic's grandparents, Maudie and Tucker, show up? Oh, man, it's been a minute. Yeah, I think they were the last characters that were introduced that I gave even a tiny fuck about. And now they give us Xanthi. I fucking love Xanthi. I know he's not going to be a series regular, but just knowing they exist in their universe, I would have been cool with. And he lasts two issues, and then they fucking kill him. It's really frustrating, and especially the manner of his death, though it was heroic, was unnecessary because he died defending Athens, who we know is the best at thunder deflecting or whatever the fuck it's called when you bounce lasers off your arms. It was called what I really wished I could have used in the Battle of the Band Names, but that was very clearly a band name, and I think several band names was Flashing Thunder. Ooh, pretty good. (sighs) Would have been so epic. But also, I don't know if you noticed this, but the technique that he was using was the Wonder Girl thing. That is the bullets and bracelets mm-hmm. that Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl use. And I thought that was kind of a fun Easter egg, seeing like, oh, that's how they learned that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Xanthi's 
noble sacrifice, if we can call it that, was totally unnecessary because he shouldn't have fucking been there in the first place. That should have been Wonder Girl, or Wonder Girl should have gone too. Yeah. I had a giant frustration with, I think it was Iapetus, is that how you say his name? Yeah, Iapetus, I, I think, but really all of the old titans. But especially him, because I think he was the one who was like, whoa, 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 slow your roll, guys. Only, only one of you can go down there. <laughs> I don't know why I talk this way all of a sudden, but... <laughs> yeah, he should be talking in Elizabethan English. <laughs> He's an ancient Greek. <laughs> if you all were to go. <laughs> That's Elizabethan, right? <laughs> If you all were to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Elizabeth. <laughs> I mean, with a thousand nines. The uh, universe would end. Probably. Which, Why? there's no explanation of that. There's also the fact that before it had been set up, if either one of you guys dies or goes over to the other side, then it's fucking game over because it tips the balance on her side. So that's why we can't let anything happen to either of you. So why not send them both? If one of them's going, then it doesn't matter that the other one's safe. So instead, what we get is a clever rock-paper-scissors situation where there's a, a black pebble and a white pebble, and I uh-huh. guess one of them's the winner, and Xanthi got to go help uh, rescue Cyborg. Despite the fact that he's not as good at being a warrior as Donna is. So obviously, if you're only sending one person, it should be Donna. Like, it's not a 50-50 situation. It's, yes, there are two choices, but they're not equal choices. That's like, well, uh, you know, either I win the lottery or I don't win the lottery, so it's a 50-50 chance, which is a logic I've tried to employ. Mm. I don't really know how statistics work, but I don't think that's how they work. Corey, I once failed a class called Probability and Statistics for Liberal Arts Majors, so I am definitely (laughs) the wrong person to ask. Fair enough. Yeah, that whole thing was just dumb. Like, Donna made a bunch of good arguments. Like, these are my friends down there, mm-hmm. this is my fight, it's sort of your fight, but it's more so my fight, and blah blah blah. And, you know, good on Xanthi for wanting to be involved, but... Yeah, I don't blame Xanthi Damn. for trying to go, but they shouldn't have let him. And, honestly, it seems like if they both wanted to go, they probably could have convinced the old Titans to let them pretty easily, because those guys fucking folded like a temp employee at the gap like <laughs> like in the holiday season mm, so they and i'm saying they fold fast odd. so probably not the temp employee they would probably fold a little slower because uh-huh. they're new at it but like yeah but the, the veteran gap employee mm-hmm. yeah i'm saying they folded quickly got it yeah i got it because initially they were just like no you have to stay on this planet forever until you die of old age with only us and then donna's like but we want to go. And then they're like, okay, you can go. <laughs> but only one of you. Ah. It's like, it reminds me of when I was a stepdad and I had the t- twin boys. And, you know, like, here's this party with a bunch of people you don't know. We're going to go to the house and stay there. And like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, if you do that, um, the universe is going to end. So <laughs> neither of you can go. And they're like, but we really want to. I'm like... Okay, draw straws. <laughs> One of you can One of go. You can go. <laughs> we need a spare. Like, that's pretty much how it happened, right? Yeah, it didn't make any sense. Frankly, nothing any of the old Titans said made very much sense. And not just in terms of the arguments they were trying to make, but their syntax didn't make a ton of sense. There were more than one typographical errors in there, which I would 
almost certainly attribute to it being a late script and getting into the hands of the letterer later. But yeah, there was the word I-N-E-X hyphen H-T-I-B-L-E. Oh yeah, that's um, Tamaranian for inexhaustible. They just forgot the uh, apostrophe. Sparta speaks Tamaranian? Oh, that was Sparta? Yeah. Oh, it's a... Simrian Akanese? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, little things like that don't hold me up as much as there were whole speeches, especially the ones that were made by the old Teen Titans, where it obscures rather than clarifies what their motivation is and what they're trying to say. It really just seemed to be filling words in at random. And it really frustrated me. Mm -hmm. There's a whole passage on page 22. It's where Donna is thinking about the white pebble, black pebble thing that Xanthi just did. Mm -hmm. And you see this argument with the old Titans. First of all, you have her saying, my people, days ago, I never heard of them. Now everything I am is because of them. I learned about my mother and the family that raised me, or at least I thought I did. What is she talking about there? Is she saying that was the Titans told her about that? She did learn about her mother and the family that first adopted her. I don't know what she's talking about. I thought she was talking about the adopted family, but the context in which she brings it up makes no dang sense. No, and that all happened before the fire anyway, so it wouldn't have affected things. I understand if she's just, you know, a little bit confused, as I believe we all are, by the constant retconning of her own backstory, but I don't know what she's trying to say there. And then you have the Titans have this argument where, and I don't know which one of them's which, and for the most part, I don't think it matters in this, but so alone is she, alone amongst gods. I have to ask if what we've done was right. Oceanus, I wonder that myself. We were so afraid to die that we store these poor children to save us. Numison, they were doomed to die. How could we have known when we saved their lives that one of them would threaten the very universe itself? We know that well, Hyperion, but we gave no thought to the children on ourselves. They have grown tall and strong. They themselves have families, loved ones whom they will miss and be missed by in turn. Was our petty survival worth all the grief? I ask you, Hyperion, because I for one doubt. And after all, I should know because I am your brother, aren't I, after all? Ha 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 ha! Exactly. This whole thing seems like it was run through Google Translate. Mm -hmm. And I don't know... Like, I get kind of the general sentiment that they're trying to convey, but like, oh, after we rescued these people, we then caused them some grief, and now they have families of their own, so was it worth it for us to have rescued them to save us after all? What? I, they're just saying, like, hey, did we fuck up? I get that, but the, the context... Seems like we're a bunch of dicks now. But, like, if they hadn't rescued them, then they wouldn't have these families and lives because they would have died in whatever fire or natural disaster they were about to die in. Yeah, butterfly effect. And there's also that, like, on ourselves is a whole sentence in there. And I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, it's probably just some old Titan slang. (laughs) Oh, man, they're always talking in that old ancient Greek. You know, on ourselves. Yeah, Uh, it's Elizabethan English. That's what that is. That's right. Oh, an ancient Greek, oh, Ivan. Yep. <laughs> chip, chip, chiroo. On ourselves. Okay, I get it now. Yeah. Happy to talk.
so the first like third of the book seemed to be mostly taken up by explaining all the shit that we couldn't figure out in the last book like oh hey you know how you couldn't figure out what was happening in those fight scenes here's what was happening in those fight scenes and i was like oh okay thank you that does actually help a lot and then it spent the rest of the book building more shit that didn't make sense presumably they'll explain it at the beginning of the next book but the next book is the last issue of the who is wonder girl arc and the pacing of this story just seems baffling to me i predict that they will rescue cyborg mm-hmm. and get in the sphere and go home and be like man that was fucking weird and that'll be it probably what do you think's gonna happen to the old titans you think they're gonna be fine you think athens is gonna live with them or no i just think it'll just just forget about them just forget about them (laughs) you're like oops well we tried (laughs) yep i couldn't figure out what their plan was in this book though like they send gar ahead to scout as a green creature i kind of wanted to slap him when he's like are there any green creatures on that planet i was like all of them that we've seen like the humanoids there are green you could just dress up as one of them i get you probably have to answer less questions if you're a i don't know camel squirrel or whatever the fuck he turned into that was the thing because they were monitoring i guess who was coming and going to capture titans or something so yeah. he had to sneak in as a native fauna okay which was very clever. Gar did that was clever. pretty good. No, I agree. I agree. He was mostly fine in this issue. I love, and we've talked about how this happens all the time in comic books, this idea of just how incredibly fortuitous search works. Yes. I'm going to go to a planet to find a person. Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you know? Well, especially as when he went down there, the Titans were like, it's found in the northern climes of this planet. And it's like, well, then I guess I hope they're in a northern climb. Mm-hmm. But I guess they were, because it did work out. But so they sent him ahead to scout out to find out where the allies were. Mm-hmm. Because Raven couldn't use her powers to locate them. And then Raven teleports them all to the planet. Or maybe the old Titans help Raven teleport them all to the planet. What is their plan from that point on? Because why didn't they just immediately like, okay, there they all are. Let's teleport them all back to New Cronus. Why didn't they do, why are they fighting people at this point? Do they think they are going to, with the seven of them, conquer the whole planet? No, I think they just were going to rescue the rest of their friends and hop back to New Cronus. Well, why didn't they then? The other thing that's frustrating is we learn in a, the backstory about how Dick was able to subdue Athens, mm-hmm. that these spheres are a deus ex whatever the fuck. Yeah, they have replicators, like in Star Trek. They can make anything. So initially I was thinking, hey man, that was pretty clever of Dick to like come up with this armor-piercing sedative needle. But then I was thinking, wait a minute, that was a real failure of imagination. Why didn't he just be like... Oh, I don't know, synthesize a thing that solves all this. Yeah, done. Yeah. Hey, alien boob factory. How about you hook me up with an ultimate nullifier? There you go. Problem solved. Boom. Yeah. Bad move. Despite him saying, if there's one thing I'm good at, it's thinking. And uh, taking risks. But he always pulls an inside straight. I had to Google that. Every single time. I thought it was like a boxing thing. I was like, I've never heard that before. And it's a cards thing. Mm -hmm. It's a poker thing. Yeah, don't do it. Well, I mean, 
It means to take uh, unnecessary risk, right? Oh, I thought it was just an unlikely thing. Like, I think if you pull an inside straight, then that would be you drawing the cards you need in that situation, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know, man. I just, I googled it because I didn't know what it meant, and it said to take unnecessary risks. Okay, well... Okay. And, and, it, and it was on the internet, so probably true. It's got to be true. It has to be true. Otherwise, the they law. would sue the internet for libel or possibly slander, depending yeah. on if it was in a video or written down. Libel is saying it? And saying it and doing it are two different things, oh. if I remember my Bobby Bird or possibly James Brown. Yeah. Not sure which one of them did the original. It was probably James Brown, right? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But I don't want to commit libel. Good point. Huh? Huh? <laughs> I think that would be slander because you said it. Oh, I thought it was the other way around. Libel is written or... Yeah, I know that from one of the Spider-Man movies. Oh, really? Yeah, J. Jonah Jameson had a fun speech about it. Oh. Anyway, Dick pulled it inside straight. That he did. He always does. Every time. That's what he does. Bad risks, man, I guess. Mm -hmm. Unless he's saying he's very lucky. Tough to tell. I think he's saying he's just that kind of guy, man, who just pulls an inside straight every time. That's not necessarily the guy you want in charge of your team strategy. Nope. Team, I've been thinking, we're just not taking enough unnecessary risks. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of his leadership style. The only way to know for sure if these traps are real. Gotta walk into them. Just go right in. Come on. It's not even that level of forward thinking that he's doing in the past few issues, though. Like, I feel like even for Dick, this is a lack of planning. Like, this isn't a, this seems like it's a trap, we better walk into it. That's at least a plan. What do you bet at the end of this he's going to be like, Hey, Wonder Girl, didn't I tell you I'd figure out your backstory? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> soul self get blown up in a big laser and then she was confused i have no idea so yeah in answer to your question no i do not know what happened it said something about shards of her soul self shattering the, the whole scene really was very chaotic very confusing and the dialogue obscured things rather than clarified them mm -hmm. yeah i think it was less troubling to me as usual than to you because again it was like a i don't know it's kind of like when you see a big dumb action movie and just everything starts blowing up and you're like whoa so much is happening i can't really follow it that was kind of the feel that i had from the end of this except for the soul self thing blowing up that was very concerning to me i know what you mean in general and i think for big picture stuff i am able to put that behind me both in like big dumb action movies and in comics like this but what takes me out of both of those is when you get stuff like, did you see any of the Transformers movies? Yeah. I could not fucking stand that. I mean, I was fine with them being dumb as shit. I knew they were going to be dumb as shit. But I feel like the action was done in a way that was confusing and didn't make any sense. Like when you have an action scene where like of them transforming, it would focus in on a close, tight detail of it. And then it would pull back and like just like zoom and cut around in a way that made it make less sense and look less cool. Yeah, it was too much. I had the the weird thing of, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, I, it's maybe action fatigue, where like I actually just spaced out and got sleepy. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I feel like this comic has a tendency to do that. You have these beautiful George Perez details that he puts in. And I will say, this whole issue is gorgeous to look at. It's so precise. The art is so precise. I love the way he draws so much. He is just such an amazing artist. The stamina and consistency that it must take to render that amount of detail page after page, issue after issue, year after year, yeah. is mind-boggling. Yeah, it's, it's every square inch of the panel is thought out mm-hmm. and is doing something. It's like a cinematographer, art director, I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. which, like all that stuff rolled into one too, because yeah. the viewer's eye is moving around, angles, perspectives, I'm, you know, I'm up top looking down, next mm-hmm. time over here, and it's just, it's really visually compelling. It is, which is what makes it more frustrating for me when the caption work and the dialogue detracts from that and makes it make less sense. Uh, And I think you have a lot of that happening in here. Just another one of the details that didn't match up was, again, we have a new wrinkle in the inconsistency in Joey's power, where when he takes over Athens at the beginning, in the last issue we saw, he would use his sign language because Athens could still control his voice, but not his hands. And then in this, we see the opposite of that, where Athens is speaking through ASL to the Titans, which, first of all, how the fuck does Athens know American Sign Language? And B, how is it reversed now that he can't control his voice, but he can control his hands? Um... I didn't really notice that, <laughs> but it sounds, it sounds troubling. I think what it is is that Athens is supposed to be just so fucking badass and powerful that it just fucks with Joey's whole ability where it becomes okay. like porous. But just in random ways. Oh, yeah. It's unpredictable. Okay. Fine. I also, it, it was odd that Athens, before having his memory restored, just immediately recognized Xanthi, like before they did their mind melt thing. Although I think Donna had the same reaction, and she didn't have that reaction to Phoebe when she saw her. So I think it's just, everybody loves Xanthi. He is the cutest. It's a cultural universal. He's the cutest, most friendly, fuzzy dude. Uh, he's the best, and I'm so mad at this comic for fucking killing him. I hate it. It's garbage. I hate it. I hated Wildebeest and his stupid mittens, and I love Xanthi and his mittens. His mittens are the best. He has the best mittens. He does, even when they're miscolored. Did you notice that panel? I didn't. I, I noticed one, though, where, um, where Athens' face was green for yeah, a while. That, that happened for a second. There was the one where Xanthi is punching the lady who's going to shoot Gar when he's a bird. And oh. they have the not-too-shabby exchange. His gauntlets are colored as though they were one of the, uh, the bad guy warriors. And I was like, oh, what's going on there? They have mittens, too? They don't have mittens. Xanthi has mittens. Because he's fucking adorable. He is a wonderful moon-furred rhyme maker. He is, he is. And he, he dropped a pearl of wisdom in this book that I think really encapsulates your struggles with being able to enjoy this whole four-part story. My heart was troubled. Hey, I needed an explanation. I needed to be soothed by explanation. That is so fucking true, man. Like, not having information to make an informed decision is just, it's emotionally troubling. It is. Let's take a look at what exactly he says there, because I really do love that. 
when the Titans are just not making a goddamn lick of sense. He, he, he really does speak for the audience, I think, when he says, I do not understand. Please, an explanation. Our hearts are troubled and need soothing. So true. So true. God, I miss that. I, I miss him already. Moonford philosopher. <laughs> that Moonford rhyme maker. Which, also, I'm sorry. Much as I love Xanthi, we have seen him for like three issues at this point. He has not no said rhymes. a single rhyme. No rhymes. But I, maybe he used to when they were kids. I loved the interactions between him and Athens. I would totally read a spin-off comic of Xanthi and Athens having fucking buddy cop adventures. Oh, yeah. That seemed like a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. But I guess we won't get that. Here's another thing that I found kind of unsettling about the book. Not that it necessarily didn't make sense, but I didn't like the way that I thought it made sense. Hmm. So on New Cronus, were all of these preteen aliens hooking up with each other? Like, Sparta describes Athens as her former lover, but they all pieced out of that place when they were like 12, right? Oh, shit. I didn't... Maybe they, maybe that's just Donna. Maybe it was Donna who was like there from the ages of like three to 13. But yeah, and then just for reasons that she had to go back to Earth and go be with her foster family for 50 years. Yes, they all did because otherwise the universe will end. No, just Donna. Oh, no, they all had to go back to their home planets at the same time. Yeah, what you don't about, remember that? Well, that's just creepy then. Maybe, But um, maybe they were rescued at different ages. Maybe they weren't all the same age. Maybe she was an, rescued as an orphan when she was three. So, like, either way, it's ten years. But maybe for Athens, it was, like, I don't know, 15 to 25. Yeah, maybe uh, Athens is and Sparta's mature faster. Maybe. I don't know. But I don't either, like to have either to way, think too damn much. I'm sorry. Stop that. I'll try. <laughs> Here, maybe this will help. Oh, this will help. You know, if we're going through things that don't make sense, which I think we are, at one point, one of the Titans says that Sparta is bound to her arena as we are to ours. How and why and what the fuck are they talking about there? Sparta's been zooming around the universe killing people. Oh... I guess it's, again, that parent thing of just making stuff up. Okay. You go down there, the universe is going to end. Well, what about Sparta? Well, she's bound to her area. Go to your room. So, <laughs> yes. Wait in the car. Yeah. Okay. Because I said so, okay? Right. That's, that's what we have. I'm an old Titan. You're a new Titan. The old You're... Titans are bad parents. They are the worst. They're objectively in the top. I don't know how many of the worst, but they're up there. It takes a village to fuck up a kid that bad. (laughs) Did Dick used to play the harp? Oh, probably. Okay. He he was a uh, circus acrobat. Oh, there is a lot of harp playing in the circus. What I mean is it's, it's so out there that that's his, like, skills origin story in a way. That it's not a stretch to think that, yeah, he probably also played the harp. Sure, yeah. No, he's a Swiss Army Titan. And I can see, like, 
Batman just being like, look, at some point, you're going to need to go undercover at a harp factory. So here's eight years of lessons. Right. Uh, which, unfortunately, he won't be able to play the harp anymore. Oh. That's a phrase that he says that I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I did a little bit of research. I think he might be making a biblical reference that the, uh, the Israelites hung their harps on willow trees because how could they make music if they were barred from their homeland in Jerusalem? So maybe he's saying he can't go home anymore, or maybe he's saying he wants to go to Jerusalem. I don't fucking know. It was a weird reference that he made, though. None of the Titans know how common expressions go. I feel like especially Dick, though, says stuff like that all the time, and... I feel like the like Dick is supposed to be the most like ordinary, relatable sure. guy on the Titans. Sure, right? no, he's a, you and, know he's the audience surrogate. We all grew up in the circus. We yeah. all had more parents. Batman was all our dads. So what I mean though is that the rest of the Titans are more like othery, right? They're mm-hmm. green, or they're aliens, or they're from New Kronos, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so Dick says stuff like that. They're probably all just like, oh, sure, yeah, okay. I have a different theory. I think he's saying stuff like that, and they've just like, I don't want to fucking ask any questions. I'm sick of this. <laughs> and it, it's not fucking worth it. I remember, I, did I tell you about this? What the, there was a time when I was like a teenager where I used to respond sometimes to questions by saying, hey, reap the whirlwind, man. No? Yeah. I think about that and I cringe inside because i was like that's a cool thing to say i'm gonna say that and i feel like it never got any reaction from anyone and good for them but i feel like that's what the other titans are doing to dick they're like oh he wants me to ask him about that yeah um you know what i'm actually trying to rescue someone here so sure yeah i guess you'll never play the harp again bummer yep reap the whirlwind (laughs) did you just come up with that or did you i think i saw it in young guns uh, yeah. Uh, I used to talk about Young Guns kind of a lot. Did I? No. You just referenced it. You didn't like talk about it like, hey, this one time in Young Guns. <laughs> I just made Young Gun references a lot. I just remember you saying the word. <laughs> saying the word Young Guns? Yeah. Hey, reap the whirlwind. <laughs> what? Young Guns. Nice. <laughs> well, Corey, there's more to talk about for sure. But I think most of it's going to come up in the minutia. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we move into that? No, I, I think you're right. It'll, it'll come up when it comes up. Young Guns. <laughs> Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Mm. So, Corey, what do you feel like starting off with? You want to do uh, timestamps? Let's do a timestamp. Corey, what timestamps were you able to find in this issue? Oof. None that really pinpointed when the comic actually came out, but I have some, you know, decade-adjacent ones, I think. Yeah, I had the same. Were they both from something that uh, Gar said in, like, one word bubble? I think so. Did you have a Fozzie Bear one? I had a Fozzie Bear and I had a Toys R Us. Yeah, I had that. And then I had one that was an expression, I can't remember who said it, it was somebody referring maybe to Wonder Girl about her being a vexin. That was something that Athens said, so I don't think it would have been a pop culture reference in any way. He said she was a happy vexin, and I think he was calling her a vixen, which is creepy when you consider she was 12 when they knew each other. Right. 
But I don't think he was referring to the band Vixen. That was, you were that was where my mind went. <laughs> I was like, maybe Wolfman was listening to Vixen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was like the late 80s. Sure. I don't think that was what was happening. Probably so I, th- I think we are no. left with Fozzie the Bear and okay, okay. Toys R Us. Yeah, that's fair. Is that a different spelling? Oh, it's probably Elizabethan. Yeah, yeah. So, cool. You're a bit of a then, aren't you? <laughs> right. Chim chim charoo. Top draw. Oh, I'm Shakespeare. Oi, get a load of me. Oh, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> British friends. <laughs> On your bike, Francis Bacon. Or oh, Shakespeare. Chim chim charoo. This is a really spot on Elizabethan. Well, I've, I've studied history extensively. Mm-hmm. Sartorially speaking, what elements of fashion in this issue did you find most worthy of note? Man, the crowd scene, I think it's page 14, when uh, cyborgs sort of crucified, for lack of a better word, on this Egyptian-esque... Mm-hmm. contraption but there is a zoom in these inset panels of the fancy footwear yeah of the uh syrian Acanese. i had oh, alien shoes too so uh fancy. they seemed to be wearing modified ballet slippers that fit their like kind of i don't know like hoof like almost almost like a dog's like right foot where they walk on their toes but their heel is the looks ankle, like an ankle set way back yeah, yeah. It's really cool looking, and it's gratifying to see that much thought put into that world building. Yeah. I thought that was a really nice touch. That was the thing that mostly sprang to mind. I mean, technically, there's so much fashion, because, like, anytime you get a close-up of any of the Sinrianaki people, they have this really ornate, bejeweled, like, headgear and wrist gear and, like, gloves and stuff. And it's all really cool looking, but the thing that did stand out to me most was the alien shoes. Cool. We had the same thought. Very nice. I also liked uh, Athens. We finally get to see he's got a blue mohawk. That's a nice look for him. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Pretty cool. I had a, another Sinrianakonese soldier, the one where it's, it's like a zoomed in on their face. And yeah. uh, man, the gun is all, I don't know, how would you even describe that? Like, there's no right angles on it. it yeah, it's... It's it, very alien. It's all very rounded and almost like Cronenbergian. Like, it, it seems like it was grown rather than built. Cronenbergian? Yeah. Wow. I will say that that particular, it's the sharpshooter that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. They look like they are dressed like a Sinrianaki Captain Boomerang. Looks like they got little boomerangs all over their hat. and It's the same color scheme. I was like, oh, that's fun. And, you know, they're using a ranged weapon. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Sure. Man, boomerangs are dangerous. You remember one you had when you were a kid? And I remember you threw it and it came back and hit you in the shin. Yeah, it, it took, bled a lot. It took you out, man. Yeah, I, they were weapons. I saw that and I was like, nope. i going to stick to this aerobie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't care if it's on the roof. Yep. That was scary. Yeah, it hurt a lot. Did come back. That's like the only time I've been able to make a boomerang come back, too. <laughs> it looks so easy in the movie. Which movie are you talking about? Oh, the only... Of the, all the, the boomerang the only, movies the only we've one, watched. The only one that's so bad, and it's the Crocodile Dundee one where the, oh. the guy takes it off the limousine. And... 
By the guy, you mean Crocodile Dundee, right? I can't remember who threw it. I'm pretty sure it was Crocodile Dundee. Okay. I met an Australian person once who said that the Paul, Paul Hogan, that's the yeah. actor's name, right? They were dismayed that he was like, their, their cultural their culture. representative. Yeah, well, too bad. Lightning Jack, underrated. What's that? That was another movie he made. And it wasn't underrated. It was not a very good movie. Oh, I, th- I think okay. I kind of liked it. Boomerangs, too? He was a Old West gunfighter. He probably used some boomerangs. Right. Oh, sorry, that was Elizabethan. <laughs> Corey, who did you have as your president of the drama club in this issue? Which character acted, or rather overacted, in the most dramatic fashion? This was an issue chock full of drama and Mm -hmm. made this choice difficult so i actually went a little bit of a different direction and for what i consider and this is a stretch for these comics excessive self-narration dick Mm. he did do a lot of that talk about external processing oh my goodness every single little thing he did oh boy my leg hurts real bad but i gotta pull through it i don't know why i'm from the midwest now but here we go (laughs) It's a region known for their self-narration, Corey. I guess so. <laughs> You're doing a lot more accent work uh, now that we're recording in, in your house. I guess I'm just more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think that's a, that's a very valid choice. I went with, I think it was Creus, but for me it was kind of a tie for all of the old titans. Mm-hmm. Just, if you don't have a strong opinion on a matter, you don't have to voice it. But they were like, no, you definitely can't go down to that planet. But we want to. Okay, you can go to that planet. It's like, well, why'd you bother? Why bother taking a stance if you don't believe in it? It kind of reminded me of some calls I've been on where there's, like, senior business people. And if one senior business person says a thing, everybody's got to say a thing. Mm. Even if they don't have anything to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boo. And so, yeah, that's... I feel like... That's a pretty drama club move. Just, uh, I don't have anything to say, but I'm going to say it as loud as I can. Mm. Listen up, everybody. I've got nothing to say. And I mean it. Mm-hmm. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozo. What instance of one character calling another character a Bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you want to highlight? Man, this one really tickled me. It was uh, both, I had two of them, and they were the same insult done in, in different ways from Sparta. And the one that tickled me the most was fools that think they can hide in a cloud of gas. Damn, that yeah, is foolish. It is. She definitely got her fool on. Oh, yeah. She was calling people fools left and right. Yep. What was the other fool instance you had? Truly a fool. Tough but fair. From Sparta to um, one of the Titans. I had something that Athens said of Sparta's warriors. He said, if this is the caliber of our enemy, our victory is certain. Oof. Yeah. And that was right before Sparta killed Xanthi. Boo! So bad. It was garbage. It's just fucking garbage. I did not like it. I wrote no with so many O's. I wrote boo with so many O's. <laughs> I put an exclamation point I at the too. end. I did too. I did too. But I, I like, I drew the exclamation point. I made like the, the top wedge a big triangle. Emphatic. That's how emphatic you mm-hmm. want to wedge. 
exclamation point so that if you stab someone with it, the wound doesn't heal right away. The wound of my emphasis. That is a weird thing to say. It is. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's an emotional topic. Get yeah. It. It's gonna, you're gonna, things are going to get weird. Yeah. Corey, every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who did you have as your Beast Boy? For my Aqualad, I went with Xanthi for making the ultimate sacrifice. Did he need to do it? Should he have done it? Probably not, but he was my favorite new guy, and he's gone, and I'm sad, and this is my small way of saying farewell, Moonford Rhyme Maker. <laughs> we'll miss you. I love you, Xanthi. I wanted to give it to Xanthi. I couldn't quite. I, I don't feel like his sacrifice was necessary, and I, I wish he hadn't done it. Um, I liked him a lot. He was a lot of fun in this issue. It's especially difficult for me to do this, but I had to give it to Beast Boy. He was my runner-up. He was the only one who had a plan that actually made sense, and he did a good job with it for the most part. I was also surprised pleasantly at how uncreepily he received the accolades in the form of kisses and attention that he got from Starfire, Wonder Girl, and Raven. Yeah. He didn't take it too creepy. No, no. And in fact, he said he preferred the psychic attention he got from Raven to the physical attention of the others. So yeah, good for him. Much less of a creep than we're used to seeing. And yeah, like I said, he had the part of the plan that made sense. You can't find these people. I'll go ahead and I'll scout them out. I can do undercover work. And he did scout them out, did a good job. Why they didn't just bring them back to the planet at that point is fucking beyond me. But good job, Beast Boy. As backups, I had Dick. It's kind of a retroactive good job because it is an explanation of the fact that when I thought he was doing a really bad job in the last issue, he was actually doing a pretty good job, depending on your perspective. Although, yeah, he should have made the alien boob factory make him a ultimate nullifier. Mm -hmm. And I also had Cyborg as a backup because overall I think he did a pretty good job, but he was still being such a dick to Athens the whole time. He was. The fact I wish he was dead. I wish he had died. What the fuck, dude? Yeah, he's got a, a real problem with Athens for sure. I wanted to give him a serious nod too for fucking jumping into the sky and punching a spaceship out of the sky. That's a good move, man. That is so badass. He punched out a spaceship. But overall, I do think, in general, Beast Boy did a better job in this issue. And I I could not bring myself to give it to Xanthi, but I'm glad that you did, because Xanthi deserves all the goddamn props in the universe. The one downside to Beast Boy is that at one point, he does, if I interpreted it correctly, basically say, oh yeah? Well, you should see me poop. What? He is a bird, and he is carrying off one of Sparta's warriors, and he says, nice view, isn't it? Bird's eye, if you will. You want to see what else birds do from this height that goes splat on the ground? He's threatening to drop the guy. Come on. I think he's saying, I'm a bird. You want to watch me poop? And, uh, yeah. Typical bird. 
behavior. Exactly. Like, ah, oh, God gave me this cloaca. No, the devil gave me this cloaca. <laughs> I'm gonna use it. Have you been pooped on by a bird? Not in a long time. You? Uh, no, not in the last year. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, when 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 I have, like, especially if they're like dive bombing you, when it is done as an act of aggression. Ooh, that's awful. That was what those Arctic turns were up to, right? That's right. Man, forget about those guys. Hard to. I'm sorry. It's okay. Conversely, who did you have as your beast boy? So, Sparta's a titan. I wanted to give it to her for being awful. But, I mean, the category's not really, like, who is the most of effective which if you're looking at it from the bad guy perspective she, yeah she was yeah um, she did a good job being bad yeah so i wanted to vote for her because i was mad at what she did right. but I, I don't think that's the way the category works so and again i mean you could say this about any character through no fault of their own the way that they were written in the story but in terms of efficacy wonder girl should have i guess put her foot down a little bit more given how much the old titans were waffling on yeah on their rule set and gone down there and fought with the team and she did yeah yeah she could have gone instead of xanthi or in addition to xanthi there was no need for her to i had her as my choice as well again if you're in a situation where if anything happens to either of them then the game is lost why wouldn't you both go like What's the downside at that point? Six one, half a dozen of the other. Yeah, and she would have done a better job as a warrior, and I don't think she would have died when Sparta shot her, and we would still have an alive Xanthi if it wasn't for Donna. Donna's actions, or in this sense, inaction. If she'd given even, I think, the slightest bit of pushback against the OG Titans, they would have fucking collapsed. She could have at least tried. Yeah. My backup I had was a tie for all of the old titans because they just annoyed the shit out of me in this and i don't know what their end game is or what they are trying to say anytime that they talk a little late for the soul searching too yeah like a lot late yeah like a thousand fucking years yeah so i had donna also but a, a strong consideration was given to collectively the old titans that's fair have ourselves a battle of the band names we got a little more echo in here good yeah see how that goes might save that one reverby yeah what band names were you able to find in the text of this issue man there was a lot Mm -hmm. you just want to go back and forth yeah let's do it all right i think these guys Probably they've got like four guitar players. Ooh. And they use lots of like effects on their guitars and make kind of cool atmospheric music. Do they have other instrumentation or is it just the four guitars? Oh, they probably got like a, a drum machine and then. Maybe uh, they have a. Maybe Future Man sits in on some sessions. I was going to say maybe Stu Ham sat in on some sessions. Oh, him sessions. too. Yeah. They yeah. just have revolving like <laughs> guys like that, bass magicians. Mm. Um, Future Man's not a bassist. He's the got per- the percussion a, a, a guy. Drama, you're, dramatar. You're thinking of Victor Wooten. I was. I love Victor Wooten. You know what? Just all of the flat tones. <laughs> <are> the <backup. laughs> okay. 
I guess they are in the rest of the Flecktones. Man, Victor Wooten is like the baddest ass guy to ever wear a sweater like he wears. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. those sweaters are so, like, you just want to hug him. But then you listen to him play bass and they're like, whoa! He's so good. He's so good. Yeah. Also, Stu Ham is good and is named Stu Ham. Mm-hmm. Stu Ham. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's the name of your band? Oh, the name of the band is A Faint Thunderstorm of Sound. Ooh. Wow. You, you described them exactly, Thank I you. think. Yeah, that's a good one. I really wanted to give it Flashing Thunder, but as I said, Flashing Thunder is already at least a few bands, none of which seem particularly popular. Mm. But that's not the metric we use. I had a band, I'm not sure what kind of music they necessarily play, but maybe cute. <laughs> I think they might be like J-pop. Uh-huh. Maybe cute. I just think that's uh, I like it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I think these guys keep trying to want to open for a, a faint thunderstorm of sound, and they sound similar, but they're just not as good. And they're called Swimming in the Void. Oh. See, I see that more as like an album title that may be. I think it may actually be several album titles. That would make but sense. But it's not the name of a band, according to my cursory searching. It seems like Swimming in the Void might have been Joe Satriani's follow-up to Surfing with the Alien, oh, like but about Namor. Oh. <laughs> like he's just going through all of the OG yeah, so Defenders. Yeah, Surfer and Namor. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. There's probably one that's... Uh... Big Green and Angry. <laughs> sure. Well, no, it's got to follow this. It would be like Bounding with the uh... Physicist, I guess. <laughs> much less successful follow-up, and you've got a... Uh... Floating with the magician, mm-hmm. slicing a bulldozer in half <laughs> with the yeah, Asgardian. I was gonna say slicing. Yeah, being a dick with Nighthawk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, start has, starts with the verb, right? Overspending with the tycoon. There you go. Um, yeah, that's that's probably better. We've had a lot of jam bands, but I think some green creature is probably one of those as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I caught them with the string cheese incident at yeah. a Red Rocks one time. Oh man. That's a good sound. That's a good vibe in that place. Oh, far out. Yeah. What else you got? These guys are similar to the first band, but it's all like uh, synths, like electronic mm-hmm. music. Very, very light on the lyrics, and they are the gentleness of dreams. Wow. Yeah. They have a picture of a fucking turtle on their album, don't they? You know it. Nice. Serene. Mm. I had Happy Vexen as one. <laughs> Nice. There's some, uh, some upbeat 80s hair metal, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And my final one was uh, Psychic Whammo. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Do you have any others? My final one is a hip-hop collective. And uh, we're allowed to pluralize a, a word in this, are we? Sure. Okay. Then these guys are the, uh, the Moonford Rhyme Makers. I thought about going with that. I don't know, man. It's just a little bit too on the nose, I feel like, you know? I do like it, though. Well, take it out of the context of the comic book. Moonford Rhyme Makers. People are going to be like, what the fuck does Moonford mean? I gotta go listen to these guys. Yeah, I guess. It's not bad. What a weird flow. None of it rhymes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moonford Rhyme Makers. They're like a backpack rap collective. Yeah. I could get behind that. What what are like the Living Legends kind of? Sure. All right. I can I can see that. 
Like uh, so, Scratch Pickles DJs for them sometimes. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, you have the Grouch and Eli and and then uh, and Xanthi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? In tribute to Xanthi, do you want to go with that one? Oh, I don't know if it's the strongest one, but yeah, because he's no longer with well, us. Well, Xanthi apparently wasn't the strongest one either. Mm. He's still my choice in my heart. If you're good with it, I'm good with it. Mozart All right. Rhyme makers. As we discussed, the art in this issue is beautiful, but uh, if you had to pick a favorite panel, which you do, what panel was your favorite? Oof. We talked a lot already about just the amount of detail that Perez packs into these, and I think one panel that really exemplified that in a way that was, you know, it captured an alien quality, but a familiar quality too, is the city, I forget the name of the city, in Sinrianak, the capital. Let's take a look. The skyline on page 14. Sakaza. Yeah. There's just so much going on, but it's not overwhelming. I agree. It it is a really nicely done panel. And all of the other panels of the page are inset into that cityscape, which is really clever the way the layout's done. And it really works, and it sets that all of this is happening inside of this place in a very subtle and intuitive way. I liked that a lot. I really liked the opening panel, which is just starfire falling out of the sky against no background. It is such a George Perez panel. It is such a George Perez drawing of starfire. It's really, really good. Yeah, and with the way that the lettering is on the page also, it really gives it that quality of do you can you recall times when you've when you've passed out like right before you pass out yeah that weird like i know this is a sort of dreamlike quality but it's also a little bit like reality mm-hmm. like it has that feeling to the it. Com- the waking up after passing out too mm-hmm. just, just the like wait where am i am oh mm-hmm. yeah no like, it's really good yeah and not passing out from drinking passing out from i don't know blood pressure train change yep. or whatever yep I didn't know you had done that. I don't do well with blood draws. Oh. I have passed out three times. So, <laughs> doing... I haven't from that, but I do have low blood pressure, and they actually, I'm not allowed to get blood anymore because of that. I like that panel a lot, but I think my absolute favorite panel is, it's a small moment. It is appropriately a close-up of Xanthi, but it is Xanthi looking super annoyed at Beast Boy. And it wasn't something that I knew that Xanthi could do. And the speech that is coming from him could be very innocuous if it wasn't for the look on his face of, what the fuck is wrong with you? He is talking to Beast Boy. Beast Boy has just said, thanks, not so shabby. And Xanthi looks at him like he is the dumbest idiot in the world and says, shabby, how could a swipe with my fist be threadbare? It's a kind of funny moment, but... I don't think Wolfman was paying attention to the expression on Xanthi's face and how annoyed he fucking looks when he wrote it in as innocuous as it is. I just really love that panel. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. That's an example, too, of what's interesting in this book, where I feel like Wolfman did a pretty good job of setting up the differences between these cultures. Mm -hmm. There's that one, right, which is the obvious, like, we don't have the same metaphors for stuff. And then there's also um, Sparta referring to Cyborg as alien, 
like in this like really derisive way and yeah kind of flipping that was cool i agree any other panels you want to talk about yeah i think my actual favorite panel zooms in on sparta's face when she's being super evil it's on page 24 and her like her eyes are blazing like coals Ooh, yeah it's just like there's just so much bad energy <laughs> radiating off of her yeah that's just before she blasts raven and raven says drawing in the shattered soul each splintered shard cutting cutting so hard azar so hard what the fuck is going on there? Was she trying to eat Sparta's soul? Or did her soul get shattered and then she's trying to reassemble it? I think what happened, and this is a wild guess because it doesn't make much sense, is that her soul self was like a shield of some sort and Sparta shot it with such a big blast of whatever that it broke. And then she's trying to reabsorb it into herself? Yeah, and it's not going well. Okay. And they make her talk all, like, stilted and weird so that we get that it's a hard thing she's doing. Maybe? Okay. Fair enough. Anyway, it's a, you're, you're right. That is a, a very nice panel of Sparta being evil. Thank you. Also, I will say, the panel in which Xanthi dies is very nicely drawn, but there's no way that could ever be my favorite panel. It is my least favorite panel that we have seen in a long time. I, I really don't like it. His mittens are so cute. <laughs> I'm so sad he's dead. Glad I'm not wearing mittens so I can do this. Ah, uh, Hub's uh, flipping the bird to the, to the microphone, you guys. Yeah. We're at the comic, not to you guys. Yeah, no, no, no. You guys are cool. You didn't kill Xanthi. No, I'm flipping off the comic book. Yeah. Xanthi. Xanthi. Well, Corey, I have just one more question I've got to ask you. Yes? In the arbitrarily decided year of our Lord, 1990, and the month of our Lord, April, what was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Wapoot! Like many of us who were of television-watching age in April of 1990, Aqualad was feeling unsettled Hmm. because he had just watched on April 8th the premiere of uh, David Lynch's uh, Twin Peaks Ah. and was like, I'm intrigued, but also I feel weird and what the fuck. Did he think it was going to be about boobs? Probably. Yeah. However, a few short days later, on April 15th, All of that was forgotten because he watched the premiere of the sketch comedy program In Living Color. Ah! And oh my goodness, from the opening sequence with the music and the dancing through a young Jim Carrey as Fire Marshal Bill, parodies of the, at that time, very popular Arsenio Hall. Mmm. East Hollywood Squares, send-up of uh, Hollywood Squares. Um, oh, my. Did you rewatch the pilot recently? I watched some online. It's a bit... Have we talked about the fact that uh, Lisa misremembered the opening lyrics to that show as mm-hmm. everyone here is perfectly fine? <laughs> I think what the lyrics are, everyone here is equally kind. As a, that heavy D yeah. did the, did the yeah. song. Yeah. But, uh, but Lisa had remembered it as, you know, that song, the one was, everyone here is perfectly fine. 
just sounded so defensive. I love the I like idea. That. I like that. Just don't bother us. We're perfectly fine. Defensive. Don't hip hop. Just go away. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Yeah. Everything is fine. I'll be out of the bathroom in a minute. Everything's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's probably one of the things that uh, Aqualad was up to, um, recovering from Twin Peaks and uh, enjoying in living color. Mm. Twin Peaks was pretty good too. I didn't say it was weird. bad. Yeah. Just unsettling, right? And... Man, the first time there's that close up of Bob in that, I don't think I have found like a scene of a piece of media that horrifying since the bear pig blowjob scene in uh the shining i think we've talked about that before yeah we're shaking our head listeners you can't see it on the microphone i'm not shaking my head but it's trembling in fright at the recollection i watched the shining by myself at home my parents had gone out for dinner or something Oh, no. When I was, I don't know, maybe nine or ten. Oh, my God. On VHS, and it was in the middle of winter in New Hampshire, and there was snow everywhere. Oh. And I remember thinking, like, well, fuck, I just got to leave all the lights on and sit here on the couch till Mom and Dad get home, because I am not going to sleep. Well, and that's not one that also, once they do get home, you're necessarily less frightened after watching The Shining, because I... Got to know a much mellower version of your dad than you did. <laughs> I'm not saying, like, he wouldn't have murdered you with an axe, but I thought about it. <laughs> I was probably a pretty annoying kid. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I remember going around after, and for some reason, like, just checking all the windows and doors were locked. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I don't think Jack Nicholson's going to show up here. But... <laughs> you never know for sure, though. <sighs> Man, that was a creepy uh, movie. Creepy shit. The one that freaked me out the most when I was a kid, when I watched it, I think we've maybe talked about it on the show before, but uh, was uh, Videodrome. I saw that with my dad when I was 10 years old. Oh, I'm that's still, not, that's so not okay. I'm still too young to watch that movie. That's not okay. That, it, ugh. Is that a Cronenberg movie? It is a Cronenberg movie. And, and just like, when you're like 10 and you don't understand like, you don't understand about the sexuality that they're showing, and it's like your first first exposure to some of that is like, is that how sex works? The lady I, I pulls a gun to, out of her tummy? I don't want to do that. I do not want to do that. I don't want to try some stuff. No, thank you. No. No. Not even if it's Debbie Harry. Yeah, I think I remember that being a, a like I watched it as a teenager still, and I was like, when she's like, you want to try some stuff? I was like, don't do it, man. Don't do it. <laughs> don't try stuff with her. Ah. Uh, Anyway, that was one thing that Aqualad was probably up to. The other thing that Aqualad was probably up to, well, happened uh, closer to home for us than some of his adventures. Mm. Aqualad was exploring the Oregon coast, perhaps in anticipation of watching Twin Peaks. He was in the Pacific (laughs) Northwest, and he found one of the alien phantasm spheres. Oh, no. Yeah, he had heard tales from the other Titans, specifically from Danny fucking Chase, mm. that these things were bad news. And he's like, well, I'm not going to make the same mistake that the Titans did. I'm not going to take a cavalier attitude towards this, uh, this phantasm sphere looking thing. So he was able to contain it. And thankfully, it was empty when he found it. It had crashed to Earth. It was maybe one of the ones that had been out looking for Phoebe mm. and had missed her. But uh, he was like, this thing is 
very dangerous. I am going to bring it to the attention of the local legislative body. So he took that phantasm sphere to the Oregon State Senate. And he's like, you guys, I want to get the word out. These things are dangerous. You need to make sure that if anyone finds them, they report them to the local authorities and they don't try to just, you know, play with them or bring them back to their T-shaped skyscraper because they might blow up the planet. And the senators are like, well, I don't know about that. Harumph, harumph. Powerful wall, powerful wall. Where in Oregon? <laughs> Southern <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> Klamath Falls. <laughs> Gentleman from Klamath Falls. And that's just how all senators talk. I don't know. So the, these, uh, the state senators, they're skeptical, is your point. I got it. And, and Aqualad's like, I know you don't believe me that these things are powerful. Just looks like a regular phantasm sphere, which might stab a person in the eye, but, uh, you know, not a global threat. Mm-hmm. But look at this. He hits a button on the side of it. All of a sudden, all of the senators are swept inside of the alien boob factory interior of that phantasm sphere. Mm. Just for a second. Mm-hmm. And he kicks them all out again. It's like, see, there is some weird technological shit going on in these things. They're potentially very dangerous. And the senators are all like, oh, rutabaker, 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 rutabaker. I don't know, you're right. We should do something about this. Rutabaker. Harumph, harumph, harumph. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, they say senator shit. Yeah, right. But their takeaway is, we are freaked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. But... Their being freaked out took them in the wrong direction. Oh, no. See, they saw the the interior of that ship, and as I said, it looks like an alien boob factory. Mm -hmm. And rather than just think, well, these spheres are dangerous, these guys, and let's face it, they were all guys, Mm -hmm. well, boobs are dangerous. And that is why on April 1st, 1990, in Salem, it became illegal to be within... Two feet of a nude dancer. Mm, danger boobs. Yep. They're just too dangerous, thought these senators. Weird. It is weird. <laughs> like, that's such it's a... a weird, very specific law. Yeah. I mean, even, say, just hypothetically, Aqualad wasn't there, and that right. still got passed. I don't know what they were trying to do, except for protect people from dangerous gyrations. Boobs. <laughs> boobs. <laughs> I mean, they're inherently scary. They yeah. have the word boo right in yeah. there. Yeah, ghosty. Yeah, yeah, very, very ghosty. spectral. Mm-hmm. The most spectrally jiggly body part. <laughs> the only one boo in it. Right. Except booty. Oh, well, which also... The boat. What, you still can't be within two feet of a booty. Oh, it's the whole dancer. It's the whole dancer. It's not okay, just not, you can't be within two boob. feet of her boobs. You okay. also can't be within two feet of their booty. Okay, the two most frightening body parts <laughs> to men in the Senate. To Oregon legislators in 1990. Oh, man. The power mm. in those jiggly bits <laughs> is astounding. Agreed. Well, Corey, I think that's a good note for us to end this show on. Yep. If you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Titan Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Corey, do you know what we got in the mail the other day? We got some money. We had one of our listeners, James, uh, I'm leaving the last name off in case you would like to remain anonymous, 
sent us a check for $12 with no note, no explanation. I was so delighted. I mean, obviously I'm happy to have $12, always happy to have $12, but did we say something where we told people to send us $12? Oh boy, you are asking the wrong guy. I have no idea. I don't recall it, but I felt like I had been pranked in the most delightful way. The most benign prank imaginable. It made me so happy. So, Thanks, so thank you, James. That, that was very, very sweet of you. And if anyone wants to, you know, keep the prank train rolling. <laughs> if we joked about other numbers that we don't remember. Sure, sure. It, it was not the amount of the money or the fact that it was money that amused me. It really did amuse me a lot. Uh, it made me, and it made me very happy. So, uh, thanks, James. Indeed. Thanks. I don't think you can mail checks this way, but we can also be reached electronically, as this is the future, at ttwasteland at gmail.com for all your contacting us needs. We're also up on various forms of the social media, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Tumblr, seacaptainsonly.com, Friendster, etc. LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn. Yes, we are on LinkedIn. We're not hiring, are we? No. Well, you know what? Send us a resume and a proposal. <laughs> no promises. Corey, you're not firing me, are you? Oh, I can't do that. Oh, good. No. Well, then, yeah, send us a resume. <laughs> I don't have the authority to do that. I'm not some Oregon senator. Yeah, it has to be done by a board oh. of our peers. Oh. And Corey, hmm. we're peerless. Aww. If you can't find us on the internet, there's one more place you can try looking. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Gosh, probably trying a recipe for a new macaroni and cheese from scratch. Oh. Are you looking for a new recipe for that? I'm always doing that. Yeah. There's so many variations. It's so delicious. Man, macaroni and cheese is really fucking good. Like the homemade kind with some uh, smoked cheese, like a smoked gouda. Like a, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Honestly, the boxed kind. Pretty fucking good. It's a different animal, though. Absolutely. Do you, put, do you like breadcrumbs on top of it? Oh, yeah. See, I'm not a huge fan of the breadcrumbs. Oh, man, no. Like, make it on the stovetop and then bake it, and you can put breadcrumbs. Uh, or if you don't want to go crunchy, you can put tomatoes, fresh tomatoes on top. And what? Broil it a little bit. Oh, that sounds pretty good. It's amazing. All right. That's a good thing to do in people's hearts this week. Yeah, it's going to smell cozy. I am going to be looking out for time-traveling versions of myself who might try to ruin this episode of the show. <laughs> Good luck. And I'm going to, if I spot them, trying to contort myself to make sure that I do not touch them. Because I've seen Time Cop. I know how that ends. You touch a future version of yourself, you explode. That's how they got Ron Silver. Was Time Cop the super confusing one, or was that Cyborg? That was Cyborg. That was Cyborg. Yeah. Time Cop was the one that made more sense, I gotta say. Wow. There were... Oddly, more timelines to keep track of in Cyborg than there were in Time Cop. And we were supposed to, I think, keep track of what era we were in by Jean-Claude Van Damme's haircut. This comic book was easier to follow than the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Cyborg. Yeah, but 100% less Xanthes died in the movie Cyborg. That is true. Do with that what you will. Tough but fair. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can find us on Patreon. We've got a bunch of stuff up there. You can uh, poke around and uh, 
get a whole bunch of free content if you donate on any level. And uh, I would certainly appreciate that. It's uh, donors like you that uh, help keep the show going. So if you would like to see that the show keeps going, consider donating if, uh, if you like the show. Corey, what's a way that people could support the show in a non-financial way? Listeners could leave a review for the show, probably where, wherever you get your podcast from is the easiest way to do it. Find a review button, click it, and say, these moon-furred rhymes hairs are great. Five stars. Tough but fair. I would not put us in the same category as Xanthi. I'm self-aggrandizing, but not that self-aggrandizing. Oh, no, we're not. Just the listeners are doing it. Oh, the listeners. They're the ones that think. Wow. Guys, I'm flattered. You guys are awesome. Really kind of you to say. I mean, wow. Like, we barely rhyme. First the $12. Then this? By God. Top drawer. Top drawer in the... Oh, I'm sorry. Are you ancient Greek? Oh, it's, it's just when I'm around other ancient Greeks, sometimes the accent comes back a little Oh, bit. yeah. No, I know, I know how that is. Yeah. yeah. Another way people could spread the word of the show is to spread the word of the show. Uh, talk to a friend. Talk to an enemy. Talk to the internet, which is, I think, in many ways, both friend and foe. Mm-hmm. And tell them, hey, tighten up the defense. Now that's a podcast. It's not about football. No. But uh, still pretty good. Anytime somebody says that they like a podcast, then you should take out a picture of the logo to tighten up the defense and say, that's not a podcast. Now that's a podcast. Um, That was uh, more Scottish than Australian. (laughs) Yeah. Crocodile. I mean, Dundee, I think. Dundee Dundee is a Scottish name, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it it works. works. Yeah. Good call. (laughs) Crikey, mm-hmm. that's not a podcast. I, I'm still, ugh, it's still happening. Is Scott, wait a minute. ACDC mm-hmm. were from Australia. Yes. But they were Scottish. How's that? Bro named Angus. I mean, not all of them, but one of them. <laughs> Malcolm. Bon Scott. That sounds like, that's, like, that's not just a Scottish guy, it's a pretty Scottish guy. Ah, Bonnie Scott. Yeah. Angus, that's... So, mm. Scottish people are Australian and vice versa. I cracked the code. Yep. That's not a night. That's not a podcast. This is a podcast. You can tell people that. And yeah. Probably come listen. Well, thanks for listening. You're welcome. And, well, yeah, th- you know, I don't do that enough, Corey. Thank you for listening while we were recording this podcast. I, oh, I know it's, I know it's difficult. Was... It was a general statement, but right. you're right. I feel, like, I feel like often your listening contributions uh, get left by the wayside, and, and that's, that's not fair. Well, also, people just don't say you're welcome enough. I agree. Mm. Maybe people aren't as welcome as they used to be. Mm. That's sad. Now you made me sad. Sorry. And first Anthony dies, now this. Now I find out people aren't welcome. That's a hard... Do you think maybe the reason people don't say you're welcome as much as they used to is because they're afraid of vampires? That can only come into your home if you're invited. And that your welcome could be interpreted as you are welcome to come inside my home. Oh, I don't know. No, I think think that... You don't think it's vampire-related? No, not at all. Do you think people are an appropriate amount frightened of vampires? Should they be more or less frightened of vampires than they currently are? Oh, it's probably about right. 
Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice job, people. Yeah. Nice work. Way to go. Good hustle. Yeah. Way to be. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and they knew it. <laughs>